Welcome, and thank you for tuning in to the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. 20 years and one day ago, on September 11, 2001, all of our lives changed. We saw the terrorist attack on the Twin Towers, the Pentagon, and Flight 93, which went down in Pennsylvania, just a few dozen miles from where my wife was at that time, where she grew up. I was a college student studying at Zion Bible College in Rhode Island when I saw a crowd gathering in the coffee shop called The Felly around the television. And I went to check out what was going on. And I saw what we all then believed was a small plane that accidentally crashed into one of the towers. And then probably like many of you here, we saw another plane fly into the second tower live on the news and all realized together uh, that the nation was under attack. We continued to watch and then in shock and horror saw one of the towers completely fall to be followed by the second one. And of course, we gradually heard about the other attacks, the heroes on that flight 93 that took that down before it could get somewhere else. And our lives changed. I was in the Northeast and so Friends of mine that were there had family in New York. And my home church at that time was in the Pocono Mountains of Pennsylvania where my dad was pastoring. And a lot of people in that church lived in New York City. I'm sorry, lived in the Poconos and worked in the city. So we had a lot of people start trying to make phone calls and try to figure out if their loved ones were in the city, were they in the tower, were they okay? Um, We then proceeded to gather in the chapel at that school and just got on our knees before the Lord cried out in confusion, in pain, and asking God to intervene. In the face of tragedies like this, we are always reminded about what is most important. We're always then also challenged with how do we interpret these events? How do we interpret our own lives and our circumstances? How do we interpret the reality that we're faced with? What is true? Who are we? Where do we come from? Why are we here? How do we make sense of all of this? And we're starting a series today through the Gospel of John that is all about answering those most fundamental questions of life. It reminds us, or perhaps proclaims to us for the first time, the good news, and it invites us to believe in Jesus and frames our life for us, who we are, what it's all about, what to do with pain and darkness and things we don't understand. The series is called Believe. It's gonna be through the Gospel of John. We're gonna look at every verse in the book, the key verse for the whole series, and it's really just the thesis that the author gave to the book himself in John 20, 31 is this. But these are written, talking about the accounts of John, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So my prayer for you, for me, is that we would either continue to know, increasingly know, or perhaps for the first time, know what that life in his name is. In the midst of the circumstance of our life, you are invited to believe in the actual person written about in this book, the actual person of Jesus Christ, who can teach you what true life is all about and transform you forever. I'm asking the question, what would it look like if we together really followed Jesus? What does that look like in our day and time? It's not to say 
that none of you are or that I'm not at all, but it's to say, God, what are you saying to us now? What are you challenging us with? How would you speak to us, Holy Spirit, through your word? And what does it look like to follow you in this day and in this time? What would happen if we really believed the words of Jesus and acted on them? What would that look like? How would our lives change? How would our church change? How would it change how we interacted with our community, our, our world? The context before we get into the text for today is that the book of John is one of the oldest accounts of Jesus in all of scripture. And it was written by one of his closest friends and disciples, John, who is referred to by himself as the one who Jesus loved. So it tells you something about young John that he says, yeah, my name is John, the one who Jesus loves. I kind of, something in me is rising up and I kind of want to be like, hello, I'm Nathan, the one who Jesus loves. I hope and pray that you can say that for yourself. Believe, that's part of believing the truth. Insert your own name. Hello, my name is, I'm the one who Jesus loves. That's the author of this book. It's an eyewitness testimony that John had about the life of Jesus. It's the fourth gospel. So you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. It's pretty different than the other three gospels. It's structured differently. It's more poetic. It has some differences. And each book, each gospel actually emphasizes a little bit of a different thing. Matthew emphasizes Jesus as Messiah. Matthew was a Jewish tax collector and was really primarily speaking to the Jewish people to say, this is the one whom we've been waiting for. Mark emphasized Jesus as servant. He didn't come to serve, but to be served. Luke emphasizes Jesus and his humanity as the perfect man. John declares Jesus as God. That's why the overarching theme of John is believe what Jesus says. Today, the first part of this series is called The Word is Life. And we're looking at John 1, 1 through 14. At the beginning of each one of these sermons, we're just gonna read the whole text that we're looking at for that day. Uh, We have instruction in scripture to read scripture publicly. So I figure if my sermon bombs or if we just fall apart on any given Sunday, as long as we do this, we'll at least know we committed ourselves to the public reading of scripture and something really good was said. Are you with me there? Like this, the word of God is powerful enough by itself. Who needs some great sermon or anything like that? So we wanna commit ourselves to the public reading of his word. And one of the things I love about Graceland Church ever since I've been pastoring here is you, you sense the power of God just when you read his word among the body. So we're gonna read the first 14 verses to start. I encourage you, it will be on screen. You can open on your device or you can bring your uh, Bible with you, uh, a hard copy. What hard copy of the Bible, what is even that? But and it's gonna be on screen, John 1, 1 through 14. That was a joke. I do have lots of hard copies of Bibles. Go read hard copies too. Before I read it, I'm gonna pray. Lord, what a great day in your house. What a great a beautiful day here in Middle Tennessee. We're grateful just to be together. And we know that your word is living and active and it's powerful. And you said it doesn't return void. And you told us to read it publicly. So we're quite literally in the presence of the living God among everyone that is here, just being obedient to you and publicly reading your word. And we also know that to receive anything from this, we need our spiritual ears to be opened. So we ask that you'll open our ears, God, even more than they currently are. We need our spiritual eyes to be open so we can see you more clearly. We pray for eyes to be open, Lord. And we pray that we would hear your voice spoken to us through your word, by your spirit, and that we would respond together with all our hearts. In Jesus' name, 
John 1, 1 through 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. It to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. There's a lot in there. I hope and I pray you will fall more in love with God's word through this series and that you will feel like a kid in a candy store when you read God's word. And this is a passage that is so rich, starting in verse one. In the beginning was the word. John, right at the get-go, is introducing the main character of the book, the word. And he's not emphasizing when that word was born in an earthly sense. He's emphasizing the word in timeless eternity. And number one in your notes is the word of God has always been. This is basically impossible for us to grasp with a human finite mind that something could have always been. It's, it's like before there was even a beginning, there was the word. It does require a definition though. What are we even talking about when we talk about the word in John? Because we do call Bibles the word of God, rightly so, but that's not what's being talked about here. It's not talking about the Bible It's talking about the words that come from God, what God was saying. And then he goes on to describe what God is saying. He says the word was with God and was God. Later in verse 14, he says the word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. So it becomes very clear. Number two, the word of God is a person named Jesus Christ. I love what Brian Zand said. He said, Jesus is what God has to say. When God speaks, he speaks Jesus. And Jesus is the perfectly clear image of the invisible God. And it's interesting, why didn't John just say in the beginning was Jesus and Jesus was with God and Jesus was God? Why does he say in the beginning was the word? And I think it's interesting to note that the name Jesus was the name that he received when he broke into human history and was incarnated as a man. He got the name Jesus. This is talking about the word before all that in timeless eternity. He doesn't even bear that name yet. He's talking about the word, but it is in fact the same person. Jesus actually is just a name that we would call today Joshua, Yeshua. So if your name is Joshua, when we like pray in Jesus' name for our dinner, we're kind of like saying in Joshua's name. Amen. My little brother's name is Josh. And I always have to remind him, I'm not praying in your name. You, my, I tell my little brother, you're the very faulty version of Josh. Jesus is the perfect version 
It's just an earthly name, but it's given to the word who existed before all time. And then it goes on to say, the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And it's giving us some of the insight about the Trinity. What we believe when we study the scope of scripture is that God is three persons in one. God the Father, who it's talking about there, he was with God and he was God. That's God the Son talking about Jesus the Word. And really his view is just on the Father and the Son in this particular passage, but we see all throughout other parts of scripture also God the Holy Spirit. So when we talk about God, it's not three gods. It is three in one, one true God, but three distinct persons within the Godhead. Reading on, verse three, through him, the word, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. We miss this sometimes as Christians, at least I did in my upbringing. But number three, all things were created through the word, that is Jesus. That's what the scripture is telling us. And it does beg the question, how do we make sense of Genesis 1.1? So a principle of studying scripture is scripture interprets scripture. So you have to look at the whole counsel of God to understand the full message of God. Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So it doesn't really mention the word there or the name Jesus there. But if you remember in Genesis, the creation's account, what is it that God did to call all things into being? He spoke. So it is in fact talking about what God is saying. So when we interpret scripture by scripture, we understand that God created all things. When he said he spoke the light into existence, he was doing it through the word who we know is Jesus Christ that he was speaking. And it's confirmed in Colossians 1.15. Jesus, the word, is the image of the invisible God, firstborn over all creation. By him, all things were created. That includes you, that includes me. The creative power of God through his word, Christ, is how you were created. And it's how I was created. Today is my third daughter's birthday. She turns six years old today. She was born in Santa Monica, California, because we were pastoring a church there. And her older sister, three years older than her, was also born there three years earlier at the same hospital, St. John's. And one block from St. John's was the church that we were pastoring at the time that we had planted. And it was in an elementary school called McKinley Elementary, one block from the hospital. And this is city life, so you can just walk right over and there you are. And when both Kensington, my second daughter, and Nessa, my third daughter, who we're celebrating today, both times when they were born, and I remembered this because last night, one of our traditions is to all sit around with a child when it's the night before their birthday and tell their birth story. And it's all about that kid and we celebrate and we remember. And we were just remembering everything about when Nessa was born. And for us, we've always been away from our immediate family. We still are here. So we just have to figure out who's gonna be with all our other kids while we have this kid. How are we gonna figure this out? And we were doing that there and passing kids all over the place and in the hospital. And both of these times, our, my daughters were born, one was on like a Friday night, one was on a Saturday morning. So we were, got to be there enough that when Sunday morning came, I literally was able, because Jessica, my wife, and myself were still at the hospital, but she was well enough that I could leave for an hour. So I was literally able to walk one block out of St. John's over to McKinley Elementary, walk in as they were finishing up, wor finishing up worship and stand up and preach. And I've never been more on fire 
in preaching because I just saw firsthand in the most remarkable way imaginable the creative power of the word of God as he spoke my children into existence. We kind of take it for granted. I mean, we know a little bit what's involved in that process on our end, but do we have any power to create a little baby? I mean, this is so miraculous and not just that baby's physical body, but their soul, everything that's imprinted on them, the gifts that are upon their life. That is the glory of God revealed through the creative power, through the word, through the word. And I just wanted to encourage you with that this morning. You were created through the word Christ, spoken into existence by the living God. Therefore, you matter very, very much. Reading on in verse four. In him, the word was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. This is why I called this sermon, the word is life. The Greek word for life used here is Zoe. So when you meet kids that are named Zoe, or I have a few friends that pastor church is called Zoe, they're talking about life. And when you really study that word, it's talking about the source of all life or the essence of life. So I like saying it this way, number four, the essence of life comes from the word and it cannot be overcome, the scripture says. The essence of life is from him and him alone. That's why when we truly meet the word, when we meet Jesus, we just wanna be around him more because he is the essence of life. We've gotta get around that. The world is filled with a lot of death. Let's get around life. And even on a day like 9-11, where evil is demonstrated and death is realized and we glimpse a darkness that some of us have never seen before our eyes quite like that, that darkness cannot overcome the essence of life that is in the word. That is why we don't fear death as followers of Jesus. I don't know what I'll actually think on my deathbed if I have a chance to think before I die, but I can honestly tell you, I'm just, I mean, other than you know, sad not being with my kids or something like that, I'm ready to go. I'm like, bring it on. Eternity, fully realized glory of God, face to face with the Lord. I'm not afraid of it. I can't wait. To live is, to Christ, to live is Christ, to die is gain. We don't fear it. And like Heather prayed earlier, we don't even fear suffering. God will use everything we face for our good and for his glory. Of course, we still go through pain, but the darkness, no matter what, cannot overcome the essence of life. That's why the darkness is so angry. The darkness tries everything. We have an enemy of our soul who wants to steal, kill, and destroy Satan, demonic forces, powers in the spiritual and the heavenly realms. I believe in it with all my heart. We've experienced it. Wants to kill you, wants to destroy you, but darkness cannot overcome the essence of life that is in you, so the darkness is furious. But I want you to be encouraged and stick around the essence of life the word, and be challenged. What is your attention on most days? <laughs> if you're feeling a little bummed out, challenge yourself. Wait a second. Am I really paying attention to the essence of life today? What am I looking at? What am I focusing on? Again, the world is filled with, filled with a lot of the opposite of the essence of life. So let's lean into the Lord. Reading on in verse six, 
There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, this is a different John. This is talking about John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. And we too are witnesses to the light. And we're gonna talk about that at the end in just a couple minutes. Verse nine, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, again, affirming everything was made through the word. Though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. This is remarkable. Number six, the word was rejected by the world. And the ultimate rejection was in the death of Jesus. And talk about God using our suffering. The people killing Jesus and the enemies of Jesus thought they were winning by that happening. But actually God was winning by redeeming us and making a way for us. He transforms even the worst things, even death, even suffering. And it bursts forth with resurrection life. The only thing I can think of to help illustrate this whole, the world didn't recognize him even though he created them is a parent-child relationship that maybe some of you have experienced or maybe we've probably all known someone where this has happened, where the child goes through a phase uh, where they're just like, I don't, I don't wanna respond to you anymore, parent. <laughs> I don't, hey, thanks for giving birth to me, but see you later. I don't want any of this. I don't recognize you. I'm gonna go my own way. I'm actually angry at you. I'm blaming you. You are at fault. And I mean, we've even seen cases where children that are even underage try to disown their parents, like legally, remember that? This is the phenomenon. Like this shouldn't be strange to us. Is there something about human nature in this? Like you can be the person to give someone everything, even life itself, and they can then not recognize you and reject you. And we are meant to follow in the pattern of the Lord in moments like that and continue to unconditionally love. And eventually things come around, hopefully. And that's the case in this context because we see in verse 12 that not everyone rejects the word. To all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Oscar Barajas, one of our pastors on our staff here, who by the way, is gonna be launching with a team, Lord willing at the end of next year, Graceland Espanol. So if you are Spanish speaking or you know people who are, or you'd like to be a part of that team, talk to Oscar, can you wave real quick, orange shirt? Or you can talk to me or talk to Oscar. I love what I heard Oscar say once. And I think this is from your youth pastor days. There are, and I'm, I'm not gonna say it as good as you, but there are no grandkids in the kingdom of God. There are only sons and daughters. In other words, each person must come to, must come to grips with their own faith before the Lord. So just because you're born into a Christian family, it does not mean you are a Christian. And know the Lord. There's no grandkids. There's only sons and daughters. And what the text here says, number six in your notes, when you believe in the word, you are born of God. I like how Paul Laboutier says it. To believe in his name is to believe in everything he ever said about himself because his name is the declaration of who he is. For me, this came when I was a 17-year-old young man. I was in the church for 17 years, I would say, before I truly met the person of Jesus Christ. And at 17, I became an honest seeker. I was a pastor's kid. I was basically born on a pew. So I was around it. I was hearing it. I was even doing things in the church. But when I was 17, I became an honest seeker. And you might be there right now. And I wanna encourage you, 
Be an honest seeker of God. Do not settle for saying, I guess I'm a Christian. My family kind of, I was a Christian family or I go to church or I even serve. Don't settle for that. You are meant to meet Jesus who is alive, who is the person of God. You are meant to encounter him. It is life transforming. And that's what happened in my life. He always answers an honest seeker. And I met him and I had a conversion. And so began God's call on my life. And whatever that is for you, he has that for you today. He wants you to actually know him. And that starts with believing in him. You don't become an honest, it doesn't mean you have to perfectly believe. Don't worry if you have doubts. Who has doubts? Every hand should go up. This series is not about saying, believe and never have a doubt. Bring your doubts to the Lord. We have doubts. Of course we doubt. But we believe, so we seek him. To believe is to be a seeker. Because it's to say, I believe there's something there that I need. There's something more to you. There's something I have not tasted. He will respond to you when you seek him with all your heart. I love this quote from Henry Nouwen about resting in being sons and daughters. Spiritual identity means we are not what we do, we are not what people say about us, and we are not what we have. We are the beloved daughters and sons of God. And that's what that text is inviting us into. Verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The message says this in a unique way. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Number seven, the word broke into human history as a man. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. Jesus Christ coming in the flesh, God making himself known to us. That's why his name is Emmanuel, God with us. I can't wait for Christmas. I'm already listening to Christmas music. Who's with me? Anybody with me? Christmas music. My wife, is, she fights me on this so hard. I'm trying to make sure to raise my kids in the way of the Lord, that they can listen to Christmas music at any time of the year because it brings so much joy. My wife, she says, after Thanksgiving alone. And I'm like, that's too short of a window. Anyway, Emmanuel, God is with us. And then he closes verse 14 by saying, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. And I believe this is a promise for you, your last fill-in. You will see the glory of the word, full of grace and truth. And that language of grace and truth is so beautiful because we need truth. We are fooling ourselves if we are not encountering the truth of God. Grace means nothing until we encounter truth. Sin is real and sin will destroy you. Sin will hurt you. Sin will be your destruction. So God comes in and says to 17-year-old Nathan, Nathan, you're a sinner. (laughs) That's not bad news. It's good news because I'm your savior but you can't touch the grace till you accept the truth. Doesn't mean anything. So with truth, with the hard word, we need those people in our lives too that speak the truth in love to us, that are not impressed by us, that see right through the things that we try to present that aren't accurate and can just say, wait a second and put their finger on something. And you, I encourage you, settle into the reality of your life. The mess is okay. Like you are welcome. We are all in the mess. It is okay. It is very much okay to not be okay. And God comes right in and meets us there 
and then pours his grace on us. Though, So even though we are selfish, even though we sin, even though we have hurt others, even though we hurt ourselves, even though we sometimes spit on God, he offers us his grace, the unmerited favor of God. That's the gospel. It is the great exchange through Jesus and what he did for us. So that is the glory of God. So I wanna encourage you today as the worship team comes up, believe in him, be born of God, take part in this great exchange. And if you have not, if you just feel like, I don't know if I've met the Lord truly, I just wanna encourage you to pray that way. Lord, I, I really wanna know you. I want to know you. When we talk about following Jesus, it's not following a set of rules. It's not doing whatever your church happens to say you should do. It's knowing the person of Jesus Christ and living your life in abandon as you run after him. And if you remember earlier, we looked at the part of the text that says, John the Baptist was not the light himself, but was a witness to the light. We too are meant to be witnesses to the light by how we testify about what God has done, which gives glory to God. And we're gonna end today with an amazing testimony and then respond in this song. Randy Mesh is gonna come up. Randy's on our board. He is lovingly referred to as Randy the Rock because he's such a faithful, awesome man of God who just serves other people really well. He has a beautiful granddaughter named Esther, who's six, same age as my little six-year-old, um, who has gone through some challenges in life and something's happened this week that's just beautiful, so he's gonna share. Yeah, my little granddaughter, uh, my daughter, oldest daughter, adopted her from Sierra Leone in Africa uh, three years ago. She was three years old. They think she's three or, she was three years old because they found her on the side of the road and uh, so she's a real orphan, you know. And, uh, but anyway, they brought her over here, and she weighed, I think, 21 pounds at the time. And she has cerebral palsy, so she's in a wheelchair. She can't walk, and she can smile, though, really big smile. And I don't know if you have a, if you can put the picture of Esther up there, but that's Esther. She's the sweetest little thing. And, uh, but she's... Her, her swallowing function doesn't work right. So I think they tried to feed her some kind of mushy stuff over there in that orphanage, and she just, that's why she was so skinny. She just couldn't eat right. So they brought her over here and took her to Vanderbilt Mall, and uh, they wound up putting a tube in her stomach, and they fed her that way, and she started gaining weight and all. But she, she vomits all the time, uh, a couple times a day sometimes. And so they... Also found a little while later, they looked at her esophagus, and her esophagus was really in bad shape and getting worse all the time. It's like acid reflux, you know, because that every time she vomits, the acid comes up, and it was just really eating it up. And so in February, they had some pictures taken of her esophagus. Uh, she was being treated up here in Vanderbilt. And so they took some pictures, and Hannah, I think, has a picture of the, the one where her esophagus was really bad. That's the one on the top there. And, uh, I mean, it looks like, looks like the moon kind of, doesn't it, with the craters and everything? But anyway, it was all scarred up and, and really, really bad. But they moved to Chattanooga, and they're going to a different gastric uh, surgeon guy. And he looked at her in, uh, on August 10th and said that it was the worst esophagus he's ever seen. And he said that 
you know, the next step is, is cancer. If we don't do something, she's going to wind up with esophageal cancer. And so he suggested if, if you know, they're going to have to, uh, like, close off her esophagus to her stomach so nothing can come out. And so every once in a while, she'll pull this. She has a tube in her stomach and one in her intestine, and they give her the food in the intestine and the liquid in the stomach. And she rolls around, and she'll pull these tubes out once in a while. So she pulled one out uh, like a, a, a week or so ago, which is only about four weeks after the time that she saw the, the new doctor. And so they went in, and he repaired. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, my little four-year-old granddaughter, uh, a week or so ago, before Esther went back to the, to the guy, uh, they were all sitting around, you know, together as a family, and Esther started throwing up again. And so she just cried out, my little four-year-old, God, please heal Esther. You have to heal Esther. And <laughs> that part makes me break up. And uh, so they went back to the doctor. He put the tube in, and then he said, well, let me look at this throat again, you know. So he looked, and he said he was amazed. He said that her esophagus looks like new. There's nothing wrong with it. So there's a picture, I think, there you go. That's the same esophagus. And uh, anyway, it's a, it, it, it's a miracle, you know, and um, God is in the miracle working business. He, he healed my wife of narcolepsy a little over a year ago. She's out there with the kids today, helping in the nursery. And uh, God is good. Come on. It's amazing. That's the creative power of God through the word, right? And we continue to pray for Esther for her complete healing from, from cerebral palsy so she can walk and speak. That was the miracle of God. And he briefly mentioned Jane, his wife. I just, for the, there's a lot here who wouldn't have known this story. For close to 30 years, suffered from narcolepsy and cataplexy, would just faint all the time. It was hard for her to be at church. She had a spot in the back where she would lay down once she fainted. She wouldn't mind me saying this, but we would, we would find her in the bathroom. She would have to be carried out. It was just, and her whole, her whole life was like that. And our very first Sunday back to in-person services last year, you know, we were, there were, everything happened in March and April, COVID. We'd started doing drive-in services. We did them for like seven weeks. Our very first Sunday back in the room, it must've been in June, I think, Okay, okay. She said that during the service, we weren't even talking about healing or anything. She said she felt warmth all through her brain. And she didn't pass out the whole service, which was unusual. And I didn't realize this, but we had taken away her spot. Um, she had a spot in the back and we had started expanding that booth back there. And it was a mistake on our end. We had taken away the spots she would lay because she had, she had to be in a more of a normal seat. But then she didn't pass out and she felt warmth. She walked out here, uh, she was because we were doing exits in different ways because of COVID. Everyone was very separated, you remember. And um, she was crying as she walked out that Sunday thinking, I didn't, I didn't pass out. I can't remember the last Sunday I walked out of a service. And I was like, wow. Then she came back the next Sunday and I was up here worshiping and she came up and found me on the front row. She broke all of our protocol. I thought we were in all the protocol that time. Like no one's touching, we're six feet apart, we're all in masks. We were doing all of it. 
she broke it all and kissed me <laughs> and, and worshiped on this front row like, like you read about in scripture when someone gets healed of like not being able to walk for 18 years. She just was crying and yelling and worshiping and we shared the testimony. And now today on this first Sunday when we're doing kids ministry in both services, she's able to not only be here and not pass out, but she's serving in kids ministry right now as we share the testimony about Esther. Isn't that amazing? Man. Can we stand together? Lord, we're overwhelmed by your goodness. Overwhelmed by your presence, God. I don't know where you're at this morning, church. Some of you are new with us. Um, as we sing this song, we're gonna start to, we're gonna end the service here in just a minute. We're gonna sing this. Let's just let our hearts respond to God. And afterwards, I'm gonna pray for you. For anything that you are believing for, I'm not sure what that is for everyone, but Spirit of God, will you, will you meet each person here in power? Spirit of God, we welcome you. Let's sing together. Before I pray this benediction, let's close our eyes and bow our hearts. If anyone in the room is just wanting to respond to God in a specific way, if you're saying, God's calling me to believe something, or if you just, you need God's intervention in some way that is miraculous. Will you just raise your hands with me if that's you? And it could just be you saying, I wanna be a follower of Jesus. Like what Curtis said earlier, it might just be your surrender. And you're gonna win a great victory today by just surrendering and saying, Jesus, I wanna know you. It could just be that you've been around the church forever, but you're not, you don't really feel like you know Jesus. If that's you, you can raise your hand. Let's just raise our hands if we're believing for something, a miracle. Lord, for every person with a hand raised and also for those that maybe don't have it raised, but, but do in their heart, I pray that you will meet them in power and glory right in this moment, right in these quiet moments as we end this service, God. Will they have a sense that you are with them closer than they realize? And will they be overwhelmed with trust and faith and hope regarding whatever it is that they believe for, whether that's a miracle, whether it's something in relationships or finances, whether it's committing their life to you. God, we welcome you as faith arises in every heart, in every mind, that we will take you at your word, that we will actually believe. And God, where we doubt, where we have unbelief, we just simply pray what we see in scripture, help our unbelief, help our unbelief. We put our faith in you. Help us to live in a secure identity, free, alive, not in condemnation, but in freedom, in joy, in grace, in peace. For anyone that feels gripped by fear or anxiety, may they believe that you have not called them to stay stuck in that lifestyle and mindset. And may they be lifted up and may they grow with new, healthier rhythms. We thank you for the healing of little Esther, Randy's granddaughter. We give you praise, God, for renewing her esophagus. We pray for continued healing in her whole body and in her mind. We also thank you for the healing in his wife, Jane. We thank you for all the things around the body that we're not even having time to share today. Thank you that you are a faithful God and that you show up in our lives right when we need it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm gonna pray a benediction. Um, these are out there on your way out. Grab one, I'd love for you to check it out.
meet someone that you don't know. If you want to do a connection card, you can drop it in the box on your way up. We would just love to connect with you. Visit us online. Um, let me pray this and we'll be dismissed. It's out of 2 Thessalonians 2, 16 through 17. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. In Christ's name we pray, amen. <laughs>